Hello and welcome to the British Chambers podcast channel. We're delighted to bring you a second season of in-depth discussions and conversations with our members and high-profile speakers, ranging from topics like trade, fintech, arts, sports, and more within Singapore, ASEAN, and the UK. Thank you for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's podcast. With 10 categories, 10 winners, and one big night of celebrating the best of business excellence, entries are now open for the British Chamber's 22nd Annual Business Awards. As Singapore's longest running awards by an international chamber, categories range from Employer of the Year, Diversity and Inclusion Champion of the Year, Sustainability Champion of the Year, through to UK Exporter of the Year and more. For all the details and how to submit your entries, visit www.britcham.org.sg. Hello and a very warm welcome to the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore podcast. We are delighted to have you along. My name is Helen Maguire. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Diversely.io, a platform that helps businesses attract more diverse talent through bias-free AI-driven tools. This podcast comes to you from the wonderful Diversity and Inclusion Committee at the British Chamber of Commerce, within which I play a small part and this will form part of a series looking at how DNI is being implemented in businesses within the region from a very practical perspective. Our very first guest, I'm very excited to say, is Alex Harrison, who's the country CEO for Singapore and head of corporate banking for the Asia Pacific and Middle East region at Barclays. I know from my interactions with him that Alex is doing some incredible work as an active supporter of Barclays regional citizenship and diversity agenda through his membership on the Asia-Pacific Citizenship Council. He also sits as co-chair of the APAC Women's Initiative Network, and Alex is a former co-chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee itself, which is how I initially know him. So Alex, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Uh, fantastic to be here, Helen. Really looking forward to, uh, to today's conversation, actually. Brilliant. So we're going to explore some really practical ways and some things that Barclays um, have or maybe even have not put in place just yet around DNI. Um, but can we kick off with just understanding who you are, um, what your journey's been like, and how you've come to be um, country CEO for Singapore at Barclays? Um, sure, happy to. Um, uh, gosh, it's I've had a 22-year career with Barclays now, which seems quite square. I clearly started as a 10-year-old. Um, back in the day, but um, but evidently not. Um, so look, the first half of my career, um, I was primarily in the UK, working in London, uh, had several roles there. Um, since about 2011-12, I've set, on, set off on my international journey and I've worked across various locations around the world. I was based in the Middle East for a number of years and that gave me the opportunity to understand some of the cultural dynamics that, that exist within that region, but equally as well, I did lots of work across Africa and Europe as well, which enabled me just to really get some lots of cultural nuances, shall we say, and understand some of the DNI challenges that I've subsequently worked on um, um, in my in my current role. And I moved to Singapore pleasingly in 2015. Now, gosh, it's been six six years or so, um, primarily in a corporate banking role, and I had the pleasure of picking up the CEO country role, which is really, you know, have responsibility for all the businesses and functions that we have within Singapore uh, about a year or so ago now. So, yeah, lots, lots, lots of lots of things done through a very varied career over a very long time. 
not that long. It's about, about the same as mine. So let's not dwell on that too much. But okay. congratulations. That sounds like an incredible journey. Um, and I'd love to know for, you know, for listeners out there who've um, never stepped inside of Barclays or, or have never worked, obviously, for the firm, um, can you paint a picture for us of what working at Barclays is like? What, what's the culture like, um, either here in Singapore or obviously you've had lots of experience um, around the world as well? So, look, Barclays, for the listeners that have never come across the, uh, the bank before, is, you know, it's a 330-year-old uh, bank. It has its foundings in, I think, 1690 uh, in London. So it goes way back. Um, we're a di very diversified business. We've got a number of global locations um, and we have lots of different businesses that sit under the umbrella of Barclays, both across customers, clients and actually geographies. And I typically classify ourselves as a British universal bank. Um, in Asia, we've been here for about 50 plus years in various locations from India through to Hong Kong, Shanghai, Japan, and obviously Singapore and Australia. Uh, and what we seek to do within Asia is we typically work in a corporate and investment banking environment serving our global clients. Um, from, a, from a cultural perspective, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's sought to be a very inclusive place. Um, it's one of the reasons I've sought to stay so long with the institution is it's not just the varied career it's given me and enabled me to happen, enabled to happen for me, but it's equally as well the, the inclusivity and its focus on people and how people operate and trying to build a environment where candidly people can be the best that they can be, but equally they can bring themselves to a work environment. Um, and that journey is you know, taking quite some time to develop, but the pleasing thing that I've seen within Barclays across the financial services sector, and this is why I think it's a standout firm, is the focus on DNI and inclusivity and cultural awareness is a top-down approach. So the board members all the way up through to chairman and CEO are role models for ensuring that we have the right kind of place where people can bring their best and bring themselves. Yeah, which is incredible to hear. And um, I mean, I know from, from my interactions with you, obviously through um, British Chamber and, and your role there at the DNI committee, that it is something that you know, you, you put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, um, on the, the DNI agenda. So we'd love to explore a little bit more about, I guess, what that looks like for Barclays internally. Um, and you mentioned that you work in, in different, have worked in different geographical um, locations around the world. And obviously, you know, it, it changes in terms of the approaches depending on where you are um, globally to an extent. But where did the DNI efforts first start within the firm? Would you say? Um, that's 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 a great question. Um, look, cultural development, I think, isn't something that you do overnight. It's a very long journey. Um, and for Barclays, you know, building, as I've already alluded to, that DNI strategy and implementation has started many many years ago, but it's still a journey. Um, uh, but we do, as I've already said, believe that creating an inclusive and supportive culture is just the right thing to do. But we also recognize as well, it's the right thing to do for business. It gives us a far better understanding of our people, how our employee landscape is evolving and developing. And most importantly, from a talent attraction and retention perspective, it really enables us to understand what people want to see and what, what they expect from an employer. And this is continually evolving and rapidly changing. Um, as, as our appreciation and understanding of what future employees want from their working environment develops over time. 
Um, but as I've said, um, it, it's taken quite some time uh, uh, for us to get to a position over the last few years where we really kind of understand how DNI is such an important framework uh, for large-scale financial institutions like ourselves. And I think as well, uh, we've sought to embed a number of networks that we have across our platform, and those are well established now. So we have kind of six broad diversity inclusive networks uh, that we have globally in place. Uh, and those, which is really important, have regional as well as country representation. So we have what we call Bridge, which is our multi-generational network. Uh, we have Embrace, which is our multicultural network. We have Reach, which really focuses on disability, mental health and neurodiversity network. We have Spectrum, which is our LGBT plus focus group. Uh, we have WIN, which obviously I'm an active participant of as well, which really focuses on gender equality. And we also have a working families network. Now, those pillars, those networks are very well established and have been established for a number of years. And we have built global frameworks to ensure that awareness and the educational process and best practice is shared across regions and across countries, but also allowing those country networks to enable um, they enable their focus areas to be specific to the localized population and the localized issues, uh, which I think is critical to the development. And the reason why I've referenced it's kind of like a journey, because our understanding of how these networks evolve is critical. They raise, raise awareness, they, they, they educate, they promote, uh, they bring issues to the table, they help iron out wrinkles from historic, historical policy issues, which we continue to do. Um, from an interse intersectionality perspective, uh, we are much more aware of how employees want to identify for themselves and just really thinking about actually if they identify across a various spectrum, how those issues can become compounded if there's not an awareness of it. And therefore, we're very keen that as we continue this development, those networks become much more integrated clearly delivering their specific mandates, but much more integrated in their approach so we can continue to, as I've said, iron out processes, policies, and ensuring that the environment is enabled for everybody, however they yeah. wish to identify themselves. Yeah, no, that's it's, it's so important to have that network so that people can speak up um, and, and have their say and also find um, their identity um, within the bank and, and see themselves there, you know, as employees or even potential candidates. Um, so I know you're very involved with the, the WIN network. Um, can you tell me a bit more about some of the things that, that you guys do within that network? I know it's focused obviously on, on gender. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely happy to. Um, I, um, it's a big passion of mine. I have, I have two daughters um, and I, I think, I think um, particularly for me, gender equality has been a, um, a journey of awareness. I was raised in the 70s and 80s. Uh, you know, so if you're talking about an, an environment which was focused on gender inequality uh, in, in, in a northern town in the UK, that was very much it. Um, yep. And I think, I think, you know, gender equality for me has been an enlightening, um, enlightening journey and also a great development opportunity for me. And I think I like the... I always think of it like the um, the conscious competency driving metaphor. So when you're a child, you don't really you get into a car and you drive somewhere. You don't really understand what it takes to drive. 
when you're starting the process of beginning to drive as a teenager, you understand that your deficiencies um, uh, exist, uh, but you've got something to learn. So you move from being unconsciously incompetent to being consciously incompetent. Mm-hmm. And then you pass your test and you can drive, but you're very aware that you've never really driven for a long time. And so you become very aware, you, you're consciously competent, but you really have to process to enable that driving to happen. And then the obviously the nirvana is you drive for 10 years and then you're unconsciously competent. You get into a car uh, and you just end up at, uh, from A to B and you don't even know how you drove, you just got yeah. there. And I guess that's kind of the journey that it's it, it's been for me and having to have raised with my wife, you know, two, two young girls and bringing them into an environment um, where I saw, particularly as I hit Singapore when they were about seven or eight years of age, that we were moving into a world where I wasn't quite sure in 10 or 15 years time that they would have a fair shot at the professional career they wanted and also to be happy. Uh, and so that journey had started from me being very unconsciously incompetent with my unconscious bias and has progressed over a number of years. So I got to a point where I was consciously competent, shall I say, and wanted to be an active participant and role model in the gender equality conversation uh, and have a role and have a number of roles, which has enabled me to have the right level of profile to stand tall and be a, you know, a, a, you know, a live and valuable male ally to what I think is an important um, subject matter. So the work yeah. that we've been doing with WIN uh, across APAC has, has, has been numerous, actually. Uh, we've actively sought to raise uh, the membership, uh, particularly for men. Um, if you think about some of the cultural nuances we have across Asia, um, there are certain locations where male allies are a very small population, and we've sought to actively promote that in, in various locations to enable uh, that to happen. I feel, you know, gender equality is not going to be a thing of the past unless men stand tall alongside women to enable that to happen. Uh, we've also sought areas such as external branding as well. So making sure we support IWD, International Women's Day, obviously every March, and being a being a visible sponsor of that. And we work with obviously the British Chamber of Commerce within Singapore to support, you know, their IWD events. Um, we also as well have been really focusing on, as I've already alluded to, the kind of male allies and really ensure that there are various male ally networks that have been operating across the region, but they've been operating independently of WIN. So we've sought to bring them under underneath the umbrella of the women's network to enable those mandates to coalesce and to really appreciate and understand and align thinking and principles. Uh, and other subsectors that we've been really focusing on, very aware of the low representation that exists in STEM. So we've been really working quite hard on a women in technology focus. We have a high proportion of technology experts, both in Singapore and actually in India for, for, for Barclays. And so we're very aware that the proportional representation is, is, is very low um, um, in, those, in those subsectors. So again, we're actively promoting how we get more women engaged in that fantastic subject um, and you know, really mapping out the career thinking and enabling that career to happen uh, alongside role modeling, coaching, mentoring, 
you know, all the kind of BAU stuff we seek to actively do, but uh, lots of work, lots of people involved, lots of progress, but we're still only consciously competent. Right. Um, <laughs> You're not quite at the nirvana then. I, I, the fact, I think we, Helen, we spoke about this previously, you know, the fact that a committee exists yeah. to raise awareness and educate highlights that you're not there yet. The, the whole purpose of the, the win agenda for me is to make gender equality just unconsciously competent. Yeah, um, and I think, I think we both admit there's been a long, there's a long period of success and yeah. progression and awareness and education. But my words, there's a long, long road ahead of us. Still, still a long way to go. No, I absolutely love yeah. your story, Alex, about, you know, the passion and the drive behind why you personally got involved, because that, you know, that that doesn't leave you. Um, and it really ensures that results are, are achieved. I have a very similar story. Um, my reasons to get into DNI in the first place about six years ago, actually, but um, that's for another time. But I mean, it, it sounds absolutely fascinating, the work that you're doing. Um, and I wonder, where do you see um, the support for this? Does it come completely from top down? Are you feeling any pressure externally from your shareholders? Are you seeing pressure coming up the chain as well? Because I think we can all agree, you know, in the last 18 months, the game has changed really for DNI. Um, so, so where are you seeing those movements and has that shifted at all? So as I've already alluded to, Helen, the, 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 the networks that we have across the business are well established for, for, for many, many years. So there's been heightened awareness and activity going on globally, regionally, locally. Um, the, the board that we have are absolute advocates and role models yeah. uh, across the various networks that we have. So the, the top-down approach and the kind of cultural and purpose and value framework that we have to adhere to uh, within our institution uh, is well established, well understood, and very well embedded. As an example of that, the, how we view our performance as individuals um, uh, on an annual basis, it's not just what you do, it's how you do it. Uh, and the right. components and what and how are you know, equal in their in their in their views around how you know you will be rated with with regards to your performance for that year. So that's the level of cultural embeddedment that's been enabled across uh, across across the various platforms. So so I would say that um, as as I've st stated already, the framework is there. The framework's been there for a number of years. It's absolutely categorically role modelled by the senior leadership group of the firm. There's lots of diehard, passionate people that sit across the various networks, ensuring that the education, awareness and policy changes, you know, where needed, that become uh, uh, live and viable, um, you know, uh, are addressed and adhered to. Uh, but the journey's still got to continue. Um, as, a, as an example of that, um, you know, slight question for you, but, you know, 10 years ago, could you have ever imagined that um, DNI? would actually be a profession. And that actually you would see DNI professionals sat on boards, advising boards on their cultural approach and the need for them to focus on uh, the DNI agenda. No, not at all. I think I think I would have struggled to imagine that even six years ago, particularly having worked in, in the Middle East as you did. 
um, you know, the, the level of awareness around even gender equality at that point, particularly from a business perspective, um, not so much from a government perspective. I mean, if you think about the UK, for example, equal pay um, policies um, and legalities have been in place there from the 1970s, and yet we still face the same issues, um, you know, today. So, um, no, I, I think the infiltration of DNI throughout society, um, you know, top down, bottom up, um, outside in, whichever way you want to look at it, has been phenomenal. And certainly in the last kind of 18 months, you've just seen that escalated. Um, we're we're in a whole different whole different ball game now, I think. Yeah, and look at it. I guess I guess the just to build on that, the 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 business argument is now understood yeah. better than it was. And that business arg argument is really predicated, if I want to attract the brightest and best talent and retain the brightest and best talent on my platform, I need to ensure that I've got an environment that that individual will be attracted to so that, that individual can be themselves. You know, the, um, so I think that argument, that equation is, is, is much more, is much better understood and comprehended than where it was five five or 10 years ago, particularly when you start wrapping in awareness around unconscious bias and, you know, the work that, you know, obviously Britcham DNI committee have done over the last few years around that, it becomes very apparent that actually once you start ironing out those wrinkles around unconscious bias and aware how talent should be built and then building the right environment to attract and retain talent, because there is a war for talent out there, there's no doubt about it, that you need to, you need you need these policies and procedures and platforms in place to ensure that that's enabled. Uh, otherwise, you know, individuals are going to vote with their feet and move to yeah, an environment no, that's I more attractive for them. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think you know, with with regard to your intergenerational um, platform, if you like, um, you know, you can probably see that coming through in terms of millennials. Um, and, and the generations um, coming up into the workforce right now, um, you know, it's a, it's a very uh, well-known fact that over 60% of millennials do not base their um, career options on purely just money um, or status. You know, it really is about flexibility and, and about being able to see themselves in that organization. Um, and it's very difficult to do that if the organization itself is not diverse and inclusive to start with. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely correct. So, in terms of um, remote working, which has obviously affected everybody um, in in the last uh, year or eighteen months, and I can see you're probably back in the office there, Alex, but I'm certainly not. Um, <laughs> how has this impacted your efforts? Have you had to alter your policies in any way? I think I think that it's more again around awareness and appreciation. The the shift from physical to virtual, I think, you know, caused everybody a shock and continues to do so. And I, again, a little bit of a journey there as our appreciation and understanding of the consequential impact of people working from home compared to work environment is, is, is much better understood. I think there was a initial euphoria of this new operating environment where everybody could work from home. Uh, well, actually, we, we start to understand that that becomes very tough for, you know, working mums uh, and, you know, collecting kids from schools and how does that work? And, you know, um, you know, you've got your family at home as well and having a safe environment for you to be able to work in and also the consequential impact around, 
you know, uh, your mental health and, you know, the lack of engagement and physicality and how much we need it. Um, I think all these problems have started to materialize and, you know, be better understood. And that euphoria is definitely, to my understanding, has dissipated. Um, and as you've already stated, I'm sat in the office, so, um, you know, with a smile on my face. So that obviously speaks volumes. Um, and I think the, the that journey we've been on through physical to virtual and probably back to much more of a hybrid model, um, giving people more flexibility has enabled us to start thinking about, um, you know, how a home working environment and actually the need to be in an office environment as well and the flexibility that we give, obviously, to our employees. Um, and that's to enable from a, um, that's to enable, you know, better working practices of people to be operate, better working practices. Uh, practices for people to be much more efficient, but also factoring in that, that, you know, we do need to operate to some degree in a in a working environment, in a physical environment, because that enables cultural connectivity. It enables uh, people just to connect. It creates ideation, thinking, and also as well, you know, I've been in the firm for 22 years, so it's simple for me to connect in with my network virtually. But if you've just joined the firm, during the past 18 months, you may have never met your work colleagues or boss physically. So there's that kind of factor around how do you ingratiate yourself into the into the culture of the environment. So we've been doing a lot of thinking about that. But to be fair to Barclays, and we've been we call it dynamic working. We've been operating, uh, uh, you know, a heavily dynamic working environment for a number of years now, giving people much more flexibility. Uh, around choosing their operating environment and operating hours with approval, appropriate approvals in place, et cetera. So that's always been a viable option. Unfortunately, not for all of our people. There are some people that do actually physically need to be in a um, in 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 a in an operating environment. If you think particularly around retail, as an example. Um, so there are certain dynamics where it's been a little bit challenging. But but our thinking around the operating environment of the future is, is definitely evolving and developing and therefore our you know policies and procedures will adapt accordingly um, and another thing that we do as well which I think is critical we take very regular pulse checks uh, of our people every quarter um, so we have a, a, a global employee opinion survey uh, which we do on a very regular basis particularly through this heightened period of stress to enable us to have a check and an understanding and a feedback loop around how people are feeling engaged, how they're finding their operating environment, what needs to change, et cetera. And that's helping to evolve our thinking around how we build the operating environment of the future. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating topic. And um, certainly seeing businesses moving to more of a hybrid model with, with more flexibility can only be a good thing for diversity and inclusion as well. I, I think as well, though, the virtual environment has enabled a much better network to be built globally. So mm. the capacity it's, it's created is, you know, historically what would happen is, you know, senior role models or individuals would fly around the world and land in and you'd see them, you know, twice a year or something on that basis. But it enables much better connectivity for a lot of our uh, uh, staff which they wouldn't have previously had. Yeah. So, as an example, of that from a, bringing it back to DNI, uh, for from a from a win perspective across APAC, it's enabled us to host, 
you know, very engaging senior stakeholder virtual calls with folks in the UK and in London on a very regular basis to increase that connectivity. And it's something we've yeah. not historically thought of yeah. and had done because we'd always used a physical location to enable that. But it's enabled us to really broaden the message and the awareness to a much broader group and raise the profile of the agenda and the mandate, which we'd not thought of previously. So there's a lot of successes that have come out of it from a DNI perspective as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd agree. And, and, you know, we're even seeing businesses hiring, you know, within a time zone as opposed to within a location. So it really does feel a little bit like location has become somewhat secondary to where it was um, a year, year and a half ago for, for many reasons. And certainly inclusivity is, um, it has been on the up because of that. So that's brilliant to hear. Um, so lots of success stories and certainly lots of models that I'm sure many other businesses out there would be extremely envious of. So huge congratulations on, on everything that you guys are doing. Um, is there any way in which you feel or, or the business feels that your DNI approaches could improve or, or what plans do you have for the future where that's concerned? That's a, that's a great question. Um, and I think it picks up on the themes we've already covered, right? If we think to that, you know, conscious competency statement, I think that's where we exist and where we are today. The the interesting, and this is a personal anecdote, the, the interesting thing for me is, um, you know, the more you learn, the more you uncover. Um, the more you educate, the more challenges you're aware of. Um, so I, I, I guess that's kind of where the um the challenge sits with the dni focus for, for 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 the firm is we can't rest on what we've already delivered we have to continue to educate we have to continue to understand we have to you know challenge ourselves you know to maybe ask the uncomfortable questions of ourselves and enable that to happen so that we continue to create the right level of momentum across the various networks um, and then again that, just a, another example of that which we've already touched on but you know if i'd spoken about intersectionality five years ago three years ago from a dni perspective outside of a small dni universe i'm not really sure that would be um, uh, aware to the level that it is today but there's still much more to do around intersectionality so we can see the 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 construct of DNI is evolving and developing, and and has its own momentum, and therefore the journey that Barclays goes on has to run contemporaneously with that development and momentum to continue to ensure that we strive to enable committees and networks to be a thing of the past. Yeah. Um, Candidly, that's a very long journey because the subject matter isn't closed. So I guess, look, to summarize it, it's not binary. It wasn't bad yesterday and it's fantastic today. Um, you know, it's there's a very large gray area in the middle before we get to a position where it's all acceptable. And we've got to ask ourselves, you know, will we ever be in that position where, you know, DNI is completely eradicated, uh, DNI issues, I should say. So stop. Yeah. We've got to ask ourselves, are we ever really going to be in a position where the challenges of diversity inclusion are completely eradicated? And the honest answer is, is probably no, uh, because that subject matter continues to evolve as our appreciation and understanding and awareness continues to evolve. 
but it doesn't stop us maintaining the right level of momentum to ensure that we continue the journey to iron out the various issues that we see both locally, regionally and globally. Yeah, absolutely agree. It, it's a case of you don't know what you don't know, isn't it, really, on, on some of these, um, many of these points. Um, and to your driving analogy earlier, I think um, that summarised it really, really nicely. So I'm going to I'm going to steal that one and use it in the future, I think. Um, so so final question, Alex, from me, um, you know, back back to your your personal um, reasons for getting involved, I guess, with DNI in the first place. Are you feeling more confident about where your daughters may end up? Um, let's say in a few years time now well they're 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 two forces of nature so i have <laughs> I, i'm quite sure they'll they'll run through walls to um, deliver what they want to deliver for themselves they're very strong individual characters um and they're a delight to see growing up um do i think they're in if they were starting they're only 13 and 14 now but do i think yeah. if they started their professional career today versus where they were when i first started getting engaged with win yes i think they'd be in a much better environment would they be in an environment where i'm completely comfortable that everything that they face and address will be done in an equal and balanced way no um do I think there is enough female and male allies and role models around the world that they can aspire to be and look like? No, I don't. And I think there's a lot more work uh, for chambers and DNI committees and people like me and your good self to ensure that we continue to have advocates and visible role models, vocal role models that they can look to and go, that's the right path for me to follow and ensure that um, ensure that you know gender equality or inequality, I should say, um, is a thing is a thing of the past. But do I think policies and frameworks and the pay equation, which is candidly, frankly, just on the table and a lot to do on that mm. particular matter, um, it, it has gone? No, it hasn't. Mm. But they're in a much they're in a much better space than where it was, you know, five six years ago without doubt. And that's candidly one of my concerns, which we just spoke about with the previous question, because there's been so much progress on the gender equation and gender equality, that people go, we've done our jobs. We've delivered. We have delivered a X percentage KPI uh, within our organization of senior women to senior males, and therefore, good job done, move on. That's not where we need to be. Uh, we need to continue to pursue. We need to continue to push. Uh, we need to continue that awareness level. Um, and hopefully at some point during my lifetime, I'm hoping, you know, we'll move to that unconsciously competent stage. Um, but who knows? I hope so too. And I think with, with somebody like you um, at the helm, certainly where Barclays is concerned, um, you, 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 you'll get there. Um, you are on track, let's say. And I think, as you rightly said, uh, you know, the day that you and I no longer have to have these conversations and I no longer have to open the doors on my business is the day that we've achieved um, what needs to be achieved. But there is a journey to get there. Um, so thank you so much, Alex. Um, we hugely appreciated your time on the podcast and all of your insights and input. And anyone who's listening, um, there will be another um, episode in this series coming right up. 
And you can listen to this on all the usual places that you might find podcasts, so Spotify, Apple, and Google. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much to Alex Harrison and for all his input. Thank you to British Chamber of Commerce um, for this podcast, and we'll be back soon. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. Thank you for listening to our podcast and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, don't forget to subscribe and rate our channel on Spotify, Apple, Google and all other podcast platforms. For more information about the Chamber, please visit www.britcham.org.sg.